This is not a real libertarian podcast. I am your host, uh, not Darnell. And with me today, we have Rich Leach, your co-host. Hey. And your other your other co-host, Will Daughtry. Hello. So today's episode is sponsored by uh, Will Daughtry's Irish Coffee. <laughs> That's right. Best in the land. So per the headline... Uh, we're going to talk about uh, right to repair a little bit and kind of the libertarian stance on that. Um, it's this will be a really philosophical, I think, uh, episode. But uh, that's that's libertarianism, and it? it's all just you know, it's it's philosophical and it's uh, you know, it's yeah. But uh. So I'll go ahead and start because I'm I'm struggling here. I'm trying to get myself going. Uh, so for those who don't know, um, route to repair is basically this argument that uh, you know you should have if you buy a product, you should have the right to repair said product. And the way it's kind of skirted this argument for a long time, or companies have skirted this argument, is well, they say, well, you have the right to repair it. But the problem is, is you don't really have ease of access to repair it. So the the, the kind of the the name on it's kind of a uh, misleading, and it's almost kind of a lie. But um, for example, iPhone. You drop your iPhone, break the screen. You've got two options. Number one, you can either go to Apple and pay their outrageous price to have it repaired, or you can go to a third party company like I think. Uh, um, like uh, Batteries Plus, I think, does screen repair, too. And you can go there and have it done, but they're not Apple parts. A lot of it, a lot of times you'll see, like, third-party parts that may or may not work. Um, or they work, if they do work, they're not as good as the original parts, this, that, and the other thing. So it, it really just does come down to this argument as to whether or not you should be able to buy these parts. So, for example, we'll, we'll pivot into something here. Um Hey, I got an example for you. Okay. How about technology on tractors? First time I ever heard of IP stuff was uh, was buy- when you're buying a tractor. So you got a farmer with a tractor that's got a computer system on it that he can't crack open, and then the computer breaks. Or he wants to, he needs an up- upgrade or an update to the software, a BIOS update or something like that, and then can't get it. What do you think about yeah. that? Yeah. So uh, John Deere is actually the uh, the big uh, the big fight that people have is with these tractors um what rich is talking about is uh a lot of these farmers are basically buying software to jailbreak what they'll call jailbreak these uh computers on these tractors and it's being done by this company i think in ukraine or something like that but uh yeah so i mean they're having to basically in order to make these you know hundreds of thousands of dollars piece of equipment work is they have to pay um these Ukrainians money in order to jailbreak their computers on these tractors so they can make them work. You know, that's their entire livelihood is making sure that this tractor works. And the simple fact they're having to do this in order to, in order to make it work is ridiculous. I mean, it, it, it really just, so the argument comes down to is, do you really own the product you bought or does the company you bought it from lease it to you? That's, that's kind of the question. It, if 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 it's that controlled and it's that preventative from being able to do certain things, um, I mean, I see I see the fair argument that says that you really don't own it. I mean, if you're if you're having to deal only with the manufacturer of these devices or this you know this equipment, it you know the argument stands very clearly that you know um, you don't fully own it. Um, so are there any other big manufacturers who are kind of doing a little more free reign with their stuff? Well, so, I mean, if you look, you know, the argument that has been made too is, okay, so yeah, let me answer your question. Um, I would say if you look at the automotive field, that's probably the best example of what it should be. Um, you know, you can buy pretty much any part you want to, you buy a Chevy truck, for example, you buy a 2,500 Silverado, 
and the mo- you blow the motor out of it because you decided it doesn't need an oil change ever. And you can go call Chevy and say, "Hey, I need a, you know, I need a new Duramax for this uh, truck I got," and they'll say, "Okay, it's this amount. How do you want to pay for it?" And they'll have it shipped to the dealership, or sometimes you can have it shipped to your house and you pay for it and put it in, or pay somebody to put it in. But you don't see that with, uh, you know, with technology manufacturers or like with John Deere. Uh, the John Deere fight's been going on forever. That's that's a that's a big one that's been fought for quite a few years. And um, you, you, I don't, I can't think of any technology companies that are really open about selling parts on stuff. They'll say that they are, and then they'll lie about it. And so, um, so back to the John Deere thing is that John Deere basically kind of skirted legislation on it by. Uh, by saying, oh, well, we'll make it easier for people to, you know, do this or do that. And, you know, they made this this big promise and all this and nothing's changed. If you ask any farmer that owns a John Deere, they'll, you know, they'll tell you that it's the same crap that they've been dealing with for years. And it's just, it's, it's a, to me, it's authoritarianism just in the disguise of a, a company. I mean, a company can, can, can be just as oppressive as, uh, no, well, I shouldn't say just as, but it can still be oppressive like a co- uh, government can. It can force you into these bad deals, you know, voluntarily and kind of, you know, in a way fool you into thinking you had the ability to do certain things and then just kind of screw you in the long game. I heard a great Tom Woods this week, and I don't even remember who he was talking to. I wish I could remember, but he was saying, you know, it's silly how libertarians were so free market principled that a lot of libertarians, you know, especially the kind of blue-pilled ones, make this argument that, oh, no, you know, you can't criticize business. That's the free market. Well, we stand that we don't want regulation to handle things, but that doesn't mean we can't criticize bad practices. That doesn't mean we can't try to influence it and take our business elsewhere and, you know, condemn people for being oppressive. I mean, that's part of libertarianism, too. Uh, a true free market is you vote with your dollars. Absolutely. Um, but with regulation, it prevents that in a lot of ways. Um and that's that that is a good argument right there well is that um you know free market doesn't necessarily mean you can't shit on a company because companies are just like governments they're an autonomous no named you know no face group uh there's a lot of people there's a lot of bureaucracy and just because it is a company and it is a you know they have a right to be a company doesn't mean that they have the right to behave however they want to absolutely so most of what I've seen about um, we talk about um, right to repair has been um, leg- wanting legislation passed in different states. A bunch of states have got various versions and various strengths of it, but it, but the legislation comes across like to force manufacturers to provide tools and materials to repair items. So let's think about the word force and enforcing a business to do this. Now, if I'm going to sell some widget and people want to buy the widget, I want to be careful about, and we're talking about using government here. We're talking about using government to make a law to force a manufacturer to make those things available. I think there's a difference between make forcing him to make those things available and that, or in empowering him to keep other people from providing the same things or something similar. Absolutely. They can guard trade secrets and things like that. If there's something special about the glass on the phone or the BIOS update for the tractor software or, or hardware, or whatever. Um, I mean, I could, I can see, I could see them saying, well, I got it and you need it. And this is the only place for you to get it. And the market works out, you know, how you make the transaction happen. But, um, Anyway, I don't see a whole lot of uh, I don't see a whole lot of the uh, the right to repair argument coming from a hey, you can't stop me from working on my own tractor or putting my own screen on my phone if that makes sense. But I'm I'm uncomfortable with the idea of the state forcing a business to per, to make technology or even ideas available. And I'm not big on IP protection for ideas, Same. but um, but if that use that word force is the first thing, flag for me that goes up. Well, I completely agree. I think about like the Chevy 350, I feel like is kind of a good example of how it could look of, you know, 
they're open to uh, to letting other manufacturers create it because it's such a popular engine. It's like you don't have to call Chevy directly. You can call Jasper. You can call a bunch of classic companies, and they all are making that engine now. Um, now that goes back into the IP question of how long, you know, does that original manufacturer own that property? Do they ever, you know, once they release it? And that's a that's a tough libertarian debate. But yeah, forcing them to accommodate all of our repair needs is is just as tyrannical as you know them them not doing it. So what I, my thing for that is, okay, so every time I hear the word force, I back up my guy, is there a different way to handle this, you know? And freedom is about, um, is about people not using force against you. It doesn't mean you have the right to do anything you want to do necessarily. I mean, that's what property rights established, but, but um, I don't like the word force. So, um, so when you buy this stuff though, now we get into this and, and, uh, but end user agreements, you know, we all sign that crap. And I bet if you buy a John Deere tractor, it says you agree you will not go to Ukraine to get your software update or whatever, you know. But what does it do if, if you do? I mean, if you do, then you're probably violating a warranty or something, right? I mean, sure. it's not like people are going to come put you in jail for it, I don't think. Um, well, that's part of the other part of that argument, too, is that, you know, if you repair a device, um, you violate that warranty and they don't have to repair anything. So, like, so... For example, Tesla actually has the ability to remove you from their entire ecosystem. So there, I was watching something about Tesla and uh, somebody did some kind of repair or some kind of modification to their vehicle at home. And they were actually locked out of getting any kind of updates from Tesla. You know, they're over the air t- updates. They were locked out of all Tesla owned superchargers. So they were actually basically blocked out of a service that they were paying for because the 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 agreement is is when you pay for the vehicle you're paying for these services that's the unspoken kind of agreement and so it's stuff like that that kind of you know violates this this principle of do you own the product do you fully own what it is you're buying now the argument that they make or these companies make is that a we know better about this product than you do we don't think you should be messing with it well i'm I'm sure that's probably true because you manufactured it. But the problem is, is, you know, for example, if you repair your vehicle at home, we'll go back to the truck one. You got a 2,500, you know, Silverado and you put tie rod ends on it, but you mess up the tie rod ends. Well, you take it to the Chevy dealership for brakes or, you know, we'll say it's something under warranty. We'll say uh, the leaf springs in the rear go bad. Uh, and, you know, there's a crack in them. Well, do those bad tie rod ends prevent them from warranting those springs? That's, that's kind of the question. Um, but now, so I will say I'm not advocating for them being forced into anything, uh, especially at the government level. Um, but I think it does, this does kind of fall in the culture argument of, you know, people should not be so accepting of authoritarianism from the government or from companies. Um, now, for example, uh, You've got a laptop, you know, we'll say I beat on Apple on this. I love their stuff. I love their products, but it's they are probably one of the worst ones about this. You know, Samsung's bad about it. Google is, too. They're all bad about this kind of enclosed uh, mindset on uh, repairs. But so like the new the new MacBooks, um, you know, they got that M1 chip. It's so it's all a system on a chip. Um, You know, it's all soldered onto the motherboard. I'm not advocating for them to uh, start moving in a regressive manner to where you can repair stuff. The argument should be then is if that chip goes bad, you should be able to buy another one and pay somebody to solder it onto that board. Or, you know, with SOCs, typically it's built into the board anyway, so it's not really something like you can just really solder and go. Um, But, you know, RAM... All the well, see that that's the thing about these new M ones is that it's really tricky to to look at a lot of this stuff. But for example, we'll just say the RAM the RAM cards are soldered onto the board, right? Your RAM goes bad. Well, the way it works right now is you pretty much take it to Apple and they say, okay, you'll you'll just have to buy a whole new board. They just sell the whole thing, which is a an, a, an extended cost because they don't want to have to worry about messing it up and uh, you just getting something for free out of it. They want to force you into the bigger purchase 
that way they're a getting more money out of it and b um it reduces their risk um and it, it really just does fall into you know it's just it, it is a scheme in, in my opinion to force customers into bad deals um it's just I I don't know the the best way to explain it. There's there's much smarter people out there than me, and I know Rich has read up on it quite a bit. You can yeah, I will say this: you can always tell who's done some research on this by who who uses the term widget and who hasn't, <laughs> uh, because widget is actually like the the legal term that they use in a lot of this legislation is the word widget, which is really funny because. Uh, you can tell the people that write these laws have no idea what the hell they're talking about because they'll just say something like that. They'll say widget, but that could be a tractor, that could be a phone, that could be a $30,000 computer, but they, they'll refer to it as a widget. So Stephen Kinsella's book, um, it's about 90 pages. Um, it's called Against Intellectual Property. runs through all the different kinds, copyright, trademark, trade secret, um, uh, patents, Get, tells you what they actually do and lets you know that you probably don't really know. Uh, most people think they know what those things do, and and and, but I was surprised at how little I knew about it. And then he talks about the two different libertarian branches of the argument. There's the deontological, I think, and the the uh, utilitarian. Deontological is based on natural rights, and uh, it's the whole "I own this thing; you can't keep me from working on it or or or, or repairing it or." or whatever would be the way you'd look at it, this one, I think. And then the deontological or the uh, utilitarian argument is, well, what's better? And so what's interesting to me is you could run both these rabbits and both of them have some validity. Um, I would say I would be reluctant to, to mess with Apple's business model about their hardware because everybody just, just about agrees that it's better than anything else from, you know, in general, Apple's hardware is better. And if, it, if, uh, I wouldn't want to mess with that a whole lot. I don't know enough about the technology to know whether the boards, the way they put that together and they got it all soldered on there, how big a difference that makes. But, um, um, but anyway, the utilitarian argument would be, well, are we better off in the end? And one of the arguments might be that, okay, a few of you know how to go about fixing your Apple computer or whatever, but most people don't. And in the end, there'll be a lot more good computers if people aren't messing with it than if they are, if that makes sense, you know? I'm trying to apply it to the computer idea, but in, in intellectual property rights, the argument is, well, if you don't let people protect their innovation, then people won't innovate because you won't get paid for it. People are, as soon as you do it, the Chinese use it or they adopt the technology or they build it or your neighbor does or whatever. And so there's some interesting arguments on both sides of that, that I encourage people to read that book. But um, I got on a rant there, but uh, it's how, I'm going to read that book for sure. I think like that sounds like a good the utilitarian side sounds like a solid argument. But then I think about what if there's an economic collapse or something and Apple's no longer functioning and Samsung's no longer functioning and we have all these broken computers we need fixed. Then what do we do? Because nobody well, knows. You gotta be, and you got to be careful with the utilitarian argument as well, because the utilitarian argument says whichever way of going about this produces the best results for the most people. That's not libertarian at all. Uh, it's not freedom. Yeah. But, yeah. but, you know, but, but it's hard to, if you run both rabbits, it's tough argument as well. You know, you're talking about, do, well, I bought this thing. Do I own it or not? Well, I don't know. You signed a contract that said you wouldn't get a BIOS update from anybody but John Deere, or, you know, you bought it knowing that everybody knows that you can't just slap a screen on here. They're hard to get. You got to take it somewhere and get it fixed. I mean, I've got a, I'm new to Apple products, but I've got an iPad that I managed to crack the stupid screen on and it's obscene. And of course, there's YouTube videos all about how to how to replace that screen, but Leach ain't doing it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's well, a, so- I, I wanted one last thing I was going to say before I get on my rant. Um, again, I'm always when I'm thinking about freedom, and this is just me. I'm not thinking about um, so much about well, I need to be, or I can do what I want to do. I don't come at freedom that way. I come at freedom from the outside. Is do you are you stopping me? From doing so because some things I want to do I can't do and nobody's stopping me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So so I mean so there's something wrong if I have a piece of equipment that I can't that somebody can fix and has the stuff to fix and and can't and won't because there's some law that says he's not allowed to duplicate that technology, 
You know, how did you get that screen that's just as good as theirs? You know, well, you know, I got it through the great, you know, the the black market or whatever, because there's some kind of trademark or, or patent protection on, you know, that screen technology. Um, and at that point now you're telling you're somebody's using force against me. You know, nobody's robbing anybody of anything. And I'll just finish up with this. Kinsella's big point in this book is, is that real objects, things that you have in your hand, you know, if you take these glasses from me, then you've stolen from me. But if you, if I still have my glasses and you manufacture some glasses that are just like it, well, I still have my glasses. So you can't say you're stealing from me. And the argument has been that, um, that, well, you're, you're taking future profits from me or whatever, or from the manufacturer. Well, you can't promise that, you know, and there's no historical record, believe it or not, of that really happening where innovation doesn't happen because somebody's future profits aren't protected. Actually, the opposite is true. But anyway, I got another rant. I'll let you guys talk about it. I will say that there is another uh, avenue on this argument. And so this enclosed minded kind of uh, business model where you can't repair stuff, they want you to replace it. That's really the goal is they want you to replace these devices. Um, it, it creates, it's created a new problem, which is eat what they call e-waste. And so where it's, it's less profitable to repair devices and it's more profitable to just have people replace it. You're talking about all these devices, you know, you're talking about millions and millions of pounds of, uh, or tons even of, uh, you know, lithium batteries sitting in landfills. And that's, that that will eventually come to a head because that will be a problem. Um, you know, it's a problem now and it's going to be a worse problem down the road because um, lithium is a finite material. It's not something that we can just produce. It is it is something that has to be mined and requires a lot of uh, time and skill to mine it. Um, and, you know, it, it, it really does kind of box us into this corner um, of blowing out resources that we don't have to replace. So, um, you know, you, you look at it like that. Yeah. I mean, that that's really what it is. It, it, it's wasteful in, in, in this. So, you know, Apple does this big thing where they talk about how, uh, how efficient they are and how, uh, you know, green they are. They're, their campus, their new uh, uh, Cupertino campus, or uh, I can't remember what they call it, but it's, it's supposed to be a hundred percent off the grid. It is, um, uh, it's self-sustained. It, it collects its own rainwater and all renewable energy and all this crap. Um, but then they'll turn around and basically have these really wasteful, environmentally harmful practices that you know promote throwing all this e-waste into these landfills. And we don't have any good way of uh, handling that because um, I mean, yeah, you can say use an incinerator, but that's, that's a, that's a very expensive method of getting rid of trash. Um, and you got to think, you know, how do you sort that out? Is you're going to have someone digging through people's trash to uh, pull this e-waste out? I mean, you know, there's that leads into another challenge. Well, what about diabetics? You have to do insulin shots. Now you're, you're looking at exposing people to needles or, you know, diapers all this other all these other problems that will stem from that um when in fact you know you could just easily solve the problem by saying hey instead of forcing you to throw your phone out we'll give you the ability to take it to someone who is skilled enough to repair this stuff um and that's that's you know and, and there, there's an economic factor to it too you know it it you look at right now, so if you go on Amazon, you can find like replacement screens, but they're not American manufactured. They're made in China because China does not recognize or typically does not recognize uh, American patents or they don't enforce patent laws. They don't care. They don't, they'll just do whatever the hell they want to do because they're getting the money from it. Um, and so you're now spending, you're sending money to China who doesn't support any kind of individual freedom. They hate the idea of individual freedom and you're supporting these evil regimes that don't give a shit. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a spider web effect. You got one central issue that just spider webs out into all these other avenues. Um, Someone's going to have to stop this by 
you know, taking a utilitarian approach to the business, because if anybody's like, let's say, and I've seen designs, some YouTube videos about, you know, concepts of this, but let's say somebody made a phone and they made all the parts, you know, very separable, very easily replaceable, repairable. Well, they're, they're basically cutting themselves out of a job in a business eventually, you know, at some point there won't really be much of a need to buy new phones anymore, at least significantly less so than there is for Apple and businesses that have the other model. So, Someone's going to have to come into this as an approach and say, hey, I care enough about, you know, people and, you know, the environment and helping others and people's, you know, economic situation to to do this and, you know, make a product that's actually going to last them for generations and allow them to fix it themselves. And I feel like that's kind of the only real solution is good business people who are not in it for profit anymore. I mean, they're going to make money, but so, not as much. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say that uh, uh, the, the theme for me today is uh, flags, right? All these flags that trigger me. So one of them I said a minute ago was uh, this using force and, 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 and talking about government having rights and government using force to provide, you know, e- equality for us. Another one of my red flags is um, um, using force or government because the environment. That's like a flag right there. So when I hear, well, you know, we got to do something because the landfills and lithium and, and, uh, ain't made. So I'm not saying it's not something to be concerned about. I'm just saying when immediately when I hear it, I think, uh huh, uh huh. So we're back on save the environment by empowering government to do Well, I care, I care about the environment right. personally, you know, and I'm not saying I'm the best recycler by any means. And I drive right. a 3.5 V6, not an electric car. So I mean, I'm not, I'm not greatest but i think it should be handled from an entrepreneurial side from a you know investment side from a shoptivism side i don't think governments by any means the solutions in fact the u.s military is the biggest polluter in the world so we're always going to protect that situation but if business owners came out and said we want to do this because we care about the environment and we care about you know helping people and making things more affordable i think that's you know that's the way forward but that person is not going to have as much profit as Steve Jobs did. And that's well, a big, you know, that's a hard thing to do. So, well, you know, I mean, it's the consumers what drives all this, though. And so, you know, you got so you got two solutions. You can either, you know, shove environmentalism. And I'm not saying you're advocating this, but I mean, you, we can either shove environmentalism down everybody's, th- everybody's throats because they're, they're stupid rubes who don't understand that they're, you know, 396 four speed you know, gas engine transmission combination is poisoning the earth for our grandkids. So shut up Rube and ride a bike. There's that way. And then there's the market process and part of the market process, which I think is working right now. I mean, Tesla, I don't know why anybody wants one of those things, but people do. And uh, people are paying all kind of crazy money for those things, knowing that they're going to be locked into a, you know, a, a system that they can't screw around with, uh, uh, knowing, you know, and all the things that they know that comes with it, I think markets will. And, and so I don't know if and I, and I don't think you're going to create, you know, this world envi- safe environment um, by, you know, people using market processes and convincing people peacefully to to participate. I don't know if you, you get to you know this perfect pollution free world that way. But I don't think and I, and I think when you talk about, you know, the Chinese, especially, you know, ignoring IP laws and creating these screens we can get anyway. I mean, I think they're accomplishing a benefit because I'm against intellectual property. I don't think you they've got a real leg to stand on protecting patents and all that kind of stuff. And I think the market I think the market wins anyway if it's if they you know screw around long enough. I mean, Chinese create the screens we need. The Ukrainians create software that you can load on your John Deere tractor. Um, I think markets are the way to go on that. But I think that as far as the environment goes, you know, the uh, the goal is if it's important to us, it is convincing people to spend the money. And then once, you know, it's expensive on the front end, but eventually it, it levels out and because it's, you know, supply and demand takes care of that. Well, that I will sense. say that. Yeah. So there, the, <clears throat> the argument should never be government force to do anything because um, it always leads to an excessive use of force every time. It, it doesn't but matter if you what convince people that you're stealing from them. If you steal, if you if you're if. If somebody like uh, music, digital music is an example of this. You know, there are people say you're stealing from the creator if you make a copy of that music and, and then distribute it, you know, or even sell it. Um, um, if somebody's rights really are being violated, then government, if it exists, has a role in in providing justice for that, you know. 
Yeah, it, it's it's about protecting individual rights over uh, promoting good or bad behavior. Um, so, uh, I will say let's let's do touch on that. So the intellectual property thing, um, I do think that will be a a good kind of thing to look into as well. But um, my opinion is that there should be certain protections for people who come up with good ideas. You know, to where, um, like say for example. Uh, I come up with a new firing mechanism for, you know, ARs and that where, you know, it, it's more efficient. It, you know, provides, uh, you know, less recall. It uh, cycles around better, whatever, something like that. But if I come up with that idea and I show it to somebody and I've got it, you know, and there's no such thing as patent laws or stuff like that. Well, I could show it to somebody and then they say, Hey, you know, this is a great idea. I'm going to go sell this to someone else. And all of a sudden, you know, is that them stealing my idea to make a profit on it? Or is that just the free market working? Cause in my opinion, if you've come up with the idea and you generate a, a really good idea, it should be protected. Now. I don't think that you should be able to hold on to that patent for 80 years to where you prevent anybody else from doing it. But I think given, you know, I think what is the initial patents are what, 15 years? I think that is kind of too long. I think like uh, seven years, five years, something like that's good enough to where um, you can, you can be the first one out the door with something and, you know, generate a profit from an idea that you've created. But after that time span, all patents should drop. I don't think you should be able to, uh, you know, stranglehold the economy using the government, you know, patent system to do so. I can't wait till y'all read that book. Yeah, <laughs> I want to. I'm just keeping my mouth shut because uh, I want y'all to read it. Um, but I, I will give you this. I can't remember if it's in Kinsella's book or not, but he talks about um, talks about Shakespeare. All right. So Shakespeare, there was and how and how long intellectual property rights have been a thing. Right. How long intellectual property protection, I should say. I don't like using the word right because it's it's not a right uh, in the traditional. You know, when you think about rights and where they come from. Um, it's, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about a protection that government enforces for us. Ah, well, let me get off of that because that might be a, that might be right anyway. But anyway, so Shakespeare, Shakespeare gets paid by people who wealthy people who want to be the guy who walks around and everybody knows he's the guy who makes sure Shakespeare writes the great plays. Okay. I forget there's a word for it, but artists often have these benefactors, I think is what it is. Right. Hmm. And so Shakespeare writes a play and then the play they organize it. They take it to a theater. They block the outsides of the theater so nobody can see it. And then the opening night, they have the play. And it's very expensive because it's a Shakespearean play. And the crowd is filled with not people who want to see Shakespeare's play. Oh, there's a few of them. Mostly it's full of other theater owners. And they're frantically writing down every note they can on this play. Huh. And two nights later, they got the knockoff version going on in the theater. But here's what here's the deal, though. Okay. Most people are in, in, in London or wherever he was don't didn't have the, the 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 money to go see this play in the nice theater and all that kind of stuff. They didn't have the money to do that. But they had enough money to go down the street and see the knockoff version. You know what I mean? And so there wasn't a Shakespeare didn't have any intellectual property protections. They, they didn't exist in the government at the time. Yet the greatest stories or some of the greatest stories ever written were still written. The market still provided these stories. And it still provided, a, you know, an income and a, and a lifestyle for Shakespeare. So, so I guess what I'm getting at is, is that um, I don't think there's a historical record for protecting innovation through force like that. I think that all the you think of all the great works of art and the great discoveries that have happened before. I think it's only been about maybe a couple hundred years that intellectual property protections have even existed, at least state protection of them. And think of all the amazing things that were created without it. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying the whole, there won't be innovation or the market will be strangleholded without it. Um, let's say, historically, let's say a little different, little different situation. Like, cause I know patents and correct me if I'm wrong, since you read a lot more about this, but you know, well, maybe I, book like I don't know if I know more, that much more, but okay. Well maybe one book more. So that's still a lot. But uh, so I know, like, I have an idea and let's say, you know, Christopher steals it. I can still sue him. I never have to necessarily get a patent. I can still try to do that in court. The patent is basically just the government seal saying, oh, you got this extra authority. But I could still go back and say, no, I had this first and here's the evidence and challenge that. 
But let's say that, um, you know, somebody stole Shakespeare's notes out of his backpack and he had never given the play yet. And he never had that opportunity to release it to the public. And then they released it. Would there be grounds at that point, do you think? Yeah, because there's a piece of paper. There's a physical object. OK, what if they just copied it? You know, what if they just looked at it? See, that's where it gets. That's where. So my take on it personally is because I want the state to not exist. I don't want it to exist. So my take on it personally is, OK, because I don't want to use the violence of the state to take care of this situation. I'm going to either allow some what might be negative effects or um, find some other way to handle it. And so I'm, I don't think that, that, that anybody is stolen from when a, co- a copy is made of something. I don't so, think that anybody's what, stolen. From. I think there might be some arguments about it's a crappy thing to do, but I don't think it, it crosses a, a threshold of being a rights violation. Huh. If it is, if it is, then I'm justifying the state. You know what I mean? And of course, we can accomplish ways of, of, you know, we can have agreements outside of that in communities. We can have a rule in a community that says, hey, around here, we got a lot of artists and we don't rob from each other. And if you're going to come in the community and you're going to do that, we're going to kick you out. You got it protected behind like a, a locked door or a safe, and somebody has to break that to get yeah, it. That's wrong. Your crime. Yeah. yeah, that's wrong. And maybe the crime there isn't that uh, they, you know, copied your idea. Maybe the the crime there is that they've trespassed on your property, violated your property. Yeah. You know? so let me let me, let me play advocate for the the side uh, that Rich is uh, on here. Um, I I think this will be an argument on both sides of the the, the spectrum on this, but. So I don't think getting rid of patent laws will crush innovation. It, that's that to me. That's a blatant lie um, because companies will still try to make new and better stuff to sell, whether the patents are protected or not. That's just because if you look, um, one manufacturer, one phone manufacturer will come out with this brand new idea on something they include with their phone. We'll say like next year's iPhone has like a holographic screen that you can interact with. You can have it on the, on the table and you can just touch stuff and it'll work. I guarantee you the next year, Samsung will have that. Google will have that. Huawei, every company will have some version of that. Yeah. They've all got those patents locked away right now already. They're 15 or 20 years ahead of us. And so if you think about it, that's, this is another one of the arguments I get on. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I don't want to lose the thought. Um, this IP protection, if you start looking at the racket they got going on right now, they're holding technology and not putting it out. So intellectual. So if you think about it, IP protection is actually making technology worse instead of better. I mean, and so if there is a benefit to having IP rights and it, it creates some innovation, I would say and I can't do the math because who knows how much there is. But but you got to balance, you know, how great technology innovation is going to be in the future with how long they're holding it. And they're holding each other's stuff right now. And they trade these patents between Google and Samsung and, and Apple and all that. They've, they've got all kinds of litigation on the back burner right now because they know the next innovation coming out by that other company is something they've got something so close on a patent. And that's another thing too, they do, too. They'll go ahead and pump it out anyway. And they'll say, well, bring it on. Bring on your lawyers. We don't care. We're going to pump it out and make all the money we can on it. And we'll just pay the lawyers with the money we make. You know, so, so I don't know. I think, that's all right. It's fine. Uh, so I, I will say that the only downside I can see to removing all patent laws is that it, I think it'll, it'll sort of hinder innovation from people who don't have the funds in order to, uh, produce that product right off the bat. Um, that's just my look on it is, you know, say for example, uh, I come up with the design to do that holographic or, you know, holographic screen or whatever, where all that works. Well, I could say, Hey, I'll take this design to someone who can manufacture it and I'll sell it to them. Well, I show them the design and they kind of get an idea on how it works. Well, now they've just kind of said, ah, we don't want to buy it from you. And then they turn around and just start manufacturing it. I, I can see that sort of being a problem, but once again, it should come down to the state shouldn't necessarily do that. My entire argument on this is as average citizens, we should hold these companies responsible for their actions. It should be us who says, hey, if you're not going to do this, we're not going to buy your product. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to condone that action. We're going to basically take our dollars and go to this company who manufactures uh, um, 
modular phones. There's there there is a company that does do that. They make like modular phones where you can actually take like little pieces apart and you can put in a bigger battery. You can put in a better camera. You can buy upgrades and just slap it in there. I don't know how great the product is. Um, I can imagine it's not as good as some of you know the flagship devices that you see from Apple or Samsung or Google because you you, you lose a little bit of something when you're having to run all this stuff on, you know, pin connectors instead of being soldered into the board. But something like that is an idea. Something like that, you know, people who really are opposed to, you know, the culture of technology now, that is an option for them. They can very easily buy that phone and uh, support a company that has a vision that they support. Um, and I think that is far more important than like patent laws or IP laws or um, shit like that. Just being able to vote with your with your dollar instead of um, voting at the ballot box for somebody to use a gun to enforce your beliefs. So there's a really relevant um, historical event. And Rich, this was probably in that book. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. But uh, forget the guy's name. But somebody developed the in- intermittent windshield wiper. And uh, he took it to Ford, and this was back in like the 60s or something. It was a long time ago, probably earlier than that, actually. And he took it. It was just a guy with an idea. He couldn't manufacture it. He didn't have the technology and the know-how and the money to do that. And so he said, you know, can we do this? Can we? Uh, can you build this for me? Help me with this? And they told him no. And then, you know, a year or so later, they were doing intermittent windshield wipers on all their vehicles. Put it and in so a mustard <laughs> Yeah, and he sued him, and he got the money back eventually, and he won in court and proved that they stole the idea from him. Stole. I won't say that, Rich, since we're having this debate right now. But, uh, you know, that's that's a hard question, like Christopher said. If you bring it to somebody and a manufacturer makes it anyway, well, you know, when you're going into a meeting with good faith and you're bringing an idea to somebody and you're, like, offering it up to them, to me, that's kind of like saying, hey, I'm, you know, giving you a chance to be a part of this, but if you don't take it, you know, that's on you not this is yours now. And so I don't know, there's a, there's some gray area there. And if somebody's going to make a lot of profit, I think government enforcement, no. Um, Private courts though, making like a litigation, deciding that that money actually probably could have belonged to them in the first place. I think there's definitely a debate to have about that. Well, as I remember, I, and I didn't read a lot about it. I, uh, I saw the movie. There's a movie that came out about it. And, uh, and after the movie, I was so mad you know, I said, like, I to- totally got screwed, you know? And so, uh, so I whipped out my computer. I'm going to find out more about this guy, you know, and this story, find out what, cause you know, it's Hollywood. So what's the real story or whatever. Yeah. So, so, uh, anyway, turns out, well, he won the case in the end. I, I think if you remember, he did win the case and, and, uh, lost his marriage and fam, all kinds of stuff over. Cause he got pretty infatuated with it. But there's another thing is uh, that I read about was that, that wasn't the only case he did that on. He had lots of intellectual property cases. And he won a few and lost a bunch, too. And I can't remember what the other ones were. I want to say there was like 19 or 20 of them. Huh. I got to thinking, ah, is this guy like some kind of a patent troll? You know, I don't. So I don't know. I didn't I didn't really dive in too deep on it. But um, um, but given that context, I backed up a little bit and I said, OK, now, wait a minute. I got all emotionally connected to that story because he got screwed. But then I got thought, well, what is the solution to it? And I remember his argument was. Was that um, what was it? Something about um, um, or the argument against him? Maybe was you know all the letters. So you take letters and you, you combine them in a certain way, and you end up with a Shakespearean story, you know. Mm. Or I get a hold of the same letters, and you get some gobbledygook, you know. Or what if what's the materials here? Well, it's letters and it's paper and it's whatever, and it's the ideas that make the difference. And I was thinking well, that's a pretty compelling argument going on there, you know, about the ideas. But um, anyway. So uh, the main thing was he was he that wasn't the only patent situation he was in. And it it, kind of shifted from the little guy getting screwed by the big guy to maybe making me wonder, you know, whether how much of a racket he had going on there. Maybe he was right behind Ford on some innovation. You know what I mean? And then jumped out at the end. And I don't know. So I don't I don't know. But I do feel like he got screwed and there ought to be some kind of way to fix that. You know, sure. There's different people's skill sets, I would say, because I kind of relate to that personally. It's the fact that I can I can envision some things, but that doesn't necessarily mean I know I have the know how to actually manufacture them and build yeah. them. So they've got the advantage there. Yeah. And I think, you know, people 
sometimes people who are more on that ideological process side of their brain sometimes lack the mechanical skills to actually, you know, put those things into practice. So I see both sides and I'm not, I haven't read enough about him to know if, you know, each case specifically, but (laughs) excuse me, I don't want the state to exist either, but I would say private courts, I think they do have a right to say in each situation, Hey, you know, was this stolen or not? And um, I'm not saying every case, like, you know, once somebody puts it out there to me, then it's completely different. But if someone's still in the process of putting it out there and they're, you know, deciding how to and they're, you know, going to people and looking for resources, I feel like that's kind of, you know, still theirs in a lot of ways. Well, I will say that um, as far as like what Rich was saying is that, you know, there are patent trolls out there who will buy like these cheap patents that are close enough to something and then they'll sue for it. You know, they'll buy this patent for like 20 bucks from somebody and then just sue. And really, if for anybody who doesn't know a patent, you don't have to have proof of concept. You just have to have the idea. And so if you go on the patent website, you can actually find, you know, patents for stuff like, you know, a laser rifle. There's actual patents for a laser rifle. But there's no proof of concept that you can actually make a laser rifle and make it function to where it shoots out little little bolts of laser or whatever, like some Star Wars film. And that's that is kind of a problem because what that'll do is you know say i come up with this wild idea for for something and some company's already in the process of making it work they've had the idea they're just trying to make it work well i own the patent now and so they can actually make it work where i couldn't and i can sue for that that and that 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 is a more of a uh uh more of a case against innovation than um you know, re- getting rid of patent laws, in my opinion, you know, if s- somebody's able to use the system to beat these companies to death with, why would you want to innovate something when somebody doesn't have to necessarily make it work? They can just have the idea. Like people have ideas all the time about wild things, you know, like, uh, like for example, NASA has this design for a solar powered ship. And what it is, is it, it's like old school ships. It has this big solar sail that catches light or radiation from the sun and is pushed by that radiation in the deep of space and they claim it'll do uh you know it'll reach a speed a lot you know based upon the simple fact that eventually it's pushed long enough and hard enough to where it'll reach light speed but they can't build it they don't know how to build it right now they don't they can they can come up with all these ideas but if you can't build it do you really have um, if, um and so I'll, I'll put it like this if you don't have proof of concept and you can't prove that it works, um, do you really have do you really have the right to have that patent? Do you really have the right to uh, claim that that was your um, product? I guess is kind of the way I'll put that. Yeah, and then you get into okay, well, how far along do you need to be? You know, in, in this. Between the idea and then the uh, the actual uh, the object or whatever it is, and you were talking earlier a little bit about um, I forgot what it was you were saying now, but you were like, oh, how long a patent or IP protection ought to be? You know, that's another flag for me. I'm not being critical, but I'm I'm just a flag for me is when I hear terms like, well, to me, I think this is too long or that. So, and everybody's got their own idea how long it ought to be, and then how important the idea is. You know, the more important it is, then you think, well, okay, well, maybe that guy ought to have a longer one, a longer protection. Or you could argue that, uh, well, maybe it ought to be shorter. It's so important that we need a lot of these brought to market. So you get a shorter time, you know, protection on yours so that we can get more people making it later, you know. And all of that, there's all these these really valid arguments for, for all of that. But to me, what that does, what you end up with is you have a bunch of people now who can't agree. Now you have conflict instead of cooperation, And so another flag for me is when I start hearing that kind of that stuff is to think, okay, so and this is more of a utilitarian argument than a deontological one. Right. Deontological being there's right and wrong and you got to do right. And I'm always siding on right. And even if it's painful for society, right is right and wrong is wrong. And then the utilitarian argument is, well, sometimes you got to. Well, I shouldn't say cracking eggs to make an omelet, but but uh, you got to kill a few kids by giving them vaccines so that all the other kids get vaccines and in the end you wipe out polio. That's the utilitarian argument, you know? So, um, so I, I don't know. I got on a rant again. I'll, I'll leave it, leave it there. But, um, 
both ways of oh, I know we're talking about the uh, the time frame on you. Know, so in the end, uh, if you want to use a utilitarian, well, if you want, if your goal is cooperation rather than conflict, then I would say that the wrangling about even if you justify some kind of intellectual property rights, um, the wrangling over how long or how strong they ought to be eventually leads to a bunch of conflict that could be, in my opinion, could be avoided by just saying, yeah, you don't have right, you don't have rights protection for ideas. It seems kind of like you ought to, but in the end, you know, is anybody stealing from you? You know, back to my original kind of way I look at this. It's not about what I ought to be allowed to do. It's about what I'll allow force to be used to prevent, you know? And I, you know, ideas are, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm prepared to do that. I don't think there's a, a logical, there's, uh, there's, there's a, I don't think there's a good theft argument for it. I don't think people's rights are being violated by somebody well, copying. Well, the other I, argument that you can make on that too is like, for example, uh, not, there's not just one person in the world who's had an idea, you know, multiple people have had that same idea before, you know? And so that's, this is, I will make the argument uh, very easy in my opinion as to why intellectual theft is not real theft. So rich and I can have the exact same idea on creating a podcast, but did I steal that idea from him or did we just happen to have the same idea? Now, for example, on the flip side, this phone here is the only one in existence that I have. Like, so this, this is my specific phone. It is tangible. It is something physical that you can hold. If someone takes it from me, I cannot just re... It, it, it is something physically taken. It's not something you can just think up and a new phone will appear. It's something tangible. So the argument... I. What for what Rich is making, in my opinion, is that ideas aren't exclusive to one person. You know, I'm not the only person in the world who's had, you know, some of the ideas that I've had. A lot of people have had very similar ideas to what I've had. Um, you know, podcasts are not exclusive. You know, uh, I think they, they make that joke that, you know, the first three things you have to do when you become a libertarian is... Uh, one of the top three things is you have to start your own podcast, you know, that's because everybody's had that same fucking idea, including myself and YouTube. But um, it, it does come down to, is it tangible? Is it something that can't be replicated? So like, for example, that specific phone can't be replicated. It can be mass produced, but the experience that the phone has gone through, the apps that are on it, the information that's on it can't be replicated by Apple. It's, it's, if that makes sense in a, I'm trying, I'm trying to find the right verbiage here for it, but the experience that the phone has gone through, what's currently on it, the information that's on it can't be replicated. Um, and, and in, in a mass produced way. So that's why, in my opinion, it's theft over, you know, where intellectual property is. You can just have the idea multiple times, but that there's nothing preventing other people from having that same idea. And for me, exactly it's, not, right. it's not about preventing other people from having it as much as it is. Okay, do I still have it? If I still have it and I created it, I can't see a theft argument. That's to mm-hmm. me. I still have it, um, yeah. regardless of what it is. And then, so um, to, uh, to me, that's it. So because if it is theft, it is a violation of property rights, and then violence is not being initiated if you protect it. That's to me the found the. The, the, the boiled down principle here for all of this is if I've still got it, then violence can't be used to to get it back. And I can't look in the future and say, well, you know, I was going to be a multimillionaire with I, with that idea, because there are some pretty amazing products that could have happened that never did for all kinds of reasons that were protected by intellectual property. And uh, and who knows what they would have been worth? You know, I mean, we, we you can't really know. You can't really look into the future. There's some ways you can gauge it and you can have an emotional you know, connection to it, but there's no way to know for sure. And to me, it's all about, am I willing to advocate for the initiation of violence for this? Which is always no um, initiating violence. But, um, but after that is, okay, is, is it just for me to use violence to protect something here? And if I've still got it to me, that's just, somebody's got to drag me off of that hill. It's not a perfect way of going about this either. I'll tell you right now, there's some pretty good arguments against what I'm saying. In the end, I got to scratch my hands. Ah, you got me. But um, but for them, that's where I start. I start off with a with a nope. We're not going to you're not going to use violence here. You're not going to initiate or you're not going to use violence here. Somebody's initiating and it's not going to be me.
And I think the time limit to me is just basically proves that there's a huge fault in the argument because basically like what's the time limit on you owning your car? When can someone come steal your car? When can someone come take your house from you? So if intellectual property rights are completely legitimate, they should be indefinite. If they're not, then they shouldn't really exist. Putting a timestamp on it is basically them admitting they're not real. And this is just a way for them to, you know, have a racket for a limited amount of time. Yeah. That's a great point. I didn't think of that. So I can see, yeah, so I can see that argument where basically, yeah, so let's say I own a company, Rich owns a company, and Will owns a company. Um, you know, we all make the, well, we'll say, we'll go back to the phone thing. We'll say all three of us make cell phones. Um, we'll say all three of us had the exact same idea at the same time to do something. The, I think the only protection should be is that um, whoever gets to the market first. I mean, that's that. That's really what it is. Whoever gets to the market first and does it best. True. I mean, hell, not even not even to the market first. Whoever does it best, you know, will will make the most money. Um, I think that really does inspire uh, competition and innovation because, um, you know, I might have a better idea. You know, in the process of making this, I'm like, ooh, I can do this better. It will cut. You know it'll add six months to what I can go to launch, but you know, if I can make it more efficient, you know, and it, it really does show like, so you remember when Samsung basically was building many nukes uh, in their phones and, you know, they would go, people would plug them in to charge them and the batteries would catch fire. Uh, oh, yeah. It was the yeah. galaxy seven or something like that. Note seven. And there was all kinds of video of, you know, uh, people, would plug, you know, their phones were causing these massive fires, burning down houses. This guy had like a Jeep that he built, and it cost I think like one hundred twenty thousand dollars. All the shit he put on it, burnt it to the fucking ground. Um, but Samsung's not the first company to put a battery in a phone, but yet they did it really poorly, and people that 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 hurt them for you know for a couple of years because people were really skeptical about buying their phones because. You know, because they were like, oh, this is the biggest battery in a phone. You know, it's awesome. You know, you'll be able to, you'll be able to, you know, be on your phone all day. Well, yeah, that's until it catches fire and burns your house down. So I, I can, I can see that argument that, you know, the, the protection shouldn't be legal. It should be, can you build it? Yes or no. If you can't, you, you don't deserve any protection on it, you know, and I'm, I'm saying protection but really what it is is just free market capitalism. Um, if it's your idea and you want to build it, build it. Um, if somebody does it better than you, then, well, um, they did it better than you, and they're going to make probably more money on it. And if you know you have a truly incredible idea, it's your responsibility to protect it and make sure you're sharing that information wisely and not with people who you think could you know, run with it faster than you could. But when we go back to like the intermittent wiper blade thing, like, is it really that guy's idea that made all that profit? Or is it the fact that Ford already had a machine built and the might built and the reputation and the manufacturing, you know, quality to do it? And what really made the dollars happen, you know, because that guy could have sat there with an idea for a hundred years. And if he wouldn't have had all that, it wouldn't have done anything. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a, that's a, um, well, yeah. And nothing to add to that. You're right. Um, if the story is true, the way I saw it in the movie, then uh, I mean, let's face it. Um, that guy had a, a had a great widget, but he sure as heck had no cars to put it in. You know, exactly. so, you know, it, it, but but at the same time, I'm willing to recognize that there's something dirty about how that went down. If that's how it really yeah. went down, that's that is dirty. You know, it is dirty. You know, I think he, you, it, it's the wrong. It's a morally wrong thing to do that I'm not sure crosses the the line of actually being criminal i guess is the way i, I see i think it yeah. does come back down to that argument you know who is responsible for protecting you and it should always in the libertarian stance it always should be you you should be the one responsible for protecting yourself you know it is your right to own a firearm but that means that people all people have the right to own firearms that includes people who may have poor intentions uh you know people that want to do ill will can buy guns so what is the solution? Ban all guns or, you know, like the system we have now where if you've got the right amount of money, you can buy whatever you want to, whereas poor people can't necessarily afford it. So it's the system's rigged in one way or the other. Or you can say everybody has the right to own this or everybody has the right to come up with the ideas. 
but it's your responsibility to, you know, use it in a way that, you know, so if you come up with the idea, it's your responsibility to either A, protect the idea, or B, build it. I mean, it, it's not my job to protect your thoughts, um, if that's kind of making sense. Like, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be the government's job to sit there and hold your hand because you refuse to act on an idea. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can absolutely see that argument now. I had a different opinion going in, but the argument, the way Rich and Will's laid it out, makes a lot more sense uh, as far as, like, you know, yeah. And there's no I said there's always consequence. That's the thing about that's the problem with libertarianism is is we don't just we can get to some fundamental principle. Right. But there's so many layers of crap on top of it over the years that you got to unwind that you start advocating for things that look or feel a lot like you're violating somebody's rights on your way down to getting to the truth. You know, I mean, all these yeah. auto manufacturers, they have definitely benefited from decades and decades or all these technology decades and decades of of is in my opinion been violence, you know, but they benefited from it all this time. So it's almost like, well, if they get screwed on the way down to get into what right looks like, then, you know, part of me is willing to even allow for that to happen to get down there, but it's uncomfortable because it makes you hypocritical, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, that, that really is the argument, you know, rights make people uncomfortable because it is hard. It's not easy. Uh, self ownership is not easy. It, it's it's very easy to be uh, a slave for the state and just have the state run your life for you. That's that's easy, but you're not free and you don't have the you don't have any rights. Or you can have individual rights and you can do whatever you want to, but it's hard because there's no guarantee that there will be anybody there to pick you up at the end of the day if you fail. Um, but I think that's really the human condition where you should be able to explore and do these grandiose things. You know, Steve Jaws back in, was it 2003, come out with the first iPhone, uh, you know, and at that time, you, you know, you had two kinds of phones. You had like standard flip phones, you know, the slide out keypad phones, or you had like the Blackberries. Steve Jobs was, he was a piece of shit person and he was a, you know, he was an awful human being. But the idea of building that iPhone was revolutionary because almost every phone on the market now resembles that original concept. It's a touchscreen that does, you know, it connects to the internet. It's got your, you know, your phone capabilities. It's got music. So, you know, and even even if there weren't patents, uh, there was no threat of government violence. I mean, so theoretically... Every cell phone on the market now that's not an iPhone is a violation of that patent. If you really, if you, if you could, you can make that argument to where, you know, well, our idea was to make it look like this. Now everybody's phone looks like that. Yeah. But that didn't stop innovation. It didn't, it didn't slow innovation down. I mean, hell, you've got Samsung. It's got that fold, uh, Galaxy Fold now. The damn thing folds in half and you can touch the screen and all that. So innovation won't stop. Um, patents are, you know, pretty much just a way to screw people in, in the, in the long way, um, is really kind of what it's coming down to, but, uh, we've rolled over an hour. So Rich, Will, y'all got anything you want to plug? Anything new going on? Uh, Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus, come give us a like, um, Oklahoma Libertarian Party. If you're in the state of Oklahoma, we're doing a ton. We've got a community event in about an hour and a half that I'm about to go set up for raising some money for kids' school supplies on the east side of Oklahoma City. So those are my two plugs. I got nothing. I'm a state organizer for the Mises Caucus. So uh, if you hear anything about the Mises Caucus and want to get it straight, give me a yell. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy to. I'm happy to straighten out whatever you're hearing. And uh, that's it, really. Uh, I will say for anybody who might be in the Tennessee area or in the, uh, oh Lord, I'm trying to remember the name of it now, uh, Sevier County area in Tennessee, um, I have been asked to uh, give a speech, unfortunately, and I am going to absolutely blow this, but it is June 26th at 6 p.m. Um, it is the, you know, it's the Sevier County LP. Um, and it'll be at 
Patriot Park up there in uh, Sevierville. Um, so if anybody's in the area and wants to come see me make an ass out of myself trying to do public speaking, uh, come on out. Yeah, it'd be worth the trip. I think I'll make it to that one. <laughs> I think... Uh, Live stream that, uh, please, for me. Uh, I'm trying to remember who all is supposed to be... Um, uh, giving a speech. I know it's myself, uh, Trisha Butler, I think Dave Jones as well, who is the Tennessee state chair. Um, there's, there's going to be a few of us. Sam's so going to, yeah, Sam's going to do the, uh, the opening introduction speech. Um, Sam's a good guy. We had it. I've had him on here before. I think, uh, who was it that was with me? It was one of you two, wasn't it? Well, uh, yeah, me. Sam Shaw? Yeah, okay. It was yeah. Will. Uh, it's Blurry Man over there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, uh, well, gentlemen, I appreciate y'all coming out tonight. And uh, there's no such thing as a real libertarian. Good night. Bye. Thanks, guys.